The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Warning. The following episode contains details about sexual violence and elements that are graphic in nature. On this episode, I'm going to continue my conversation going through the autopsy report and pictures. I'd like to take this opportunity, since Lauren was found in the water, there are quite a few questions concerning drowning, how being found in the water affects postmortem issues with her body, lividity, for example, rigor mortis. You know, there were a number of questions specifically driving at how long she was in the water. Uh, so what I want to do just basically is to start off talking a little bit about drowning, kind of bring some clarity to that. You know, when you have a person that's allegedly drowned who is found in water. Those people, drowning victims, they normally sink. And you, know, you need to know that the human body weighs slightly more than fresh water. And as the body descends further in the water, the pressure of the water tends to compress gases in the abdominal and chest cavities. Well, as a result of that, the body displaces less water as it sinks and therefore becomes less buoyant. So if a body is found floating, it's very important for investigators to consider another cause of death. And as you will recall in the autopsy, the medical examiner ruled cause of death to be death by blunt force injury. So let's talk about once a body sinks, how long does it take to surface after drowning? It's important to know that it depends on a number of issues such as fat content, consumption of beverages and food, what the water temperature is, and depth at the location. In warm and shallow water, the gases in the body form rapidly and result in a possible rise to the surface within a day or two. When we look, Lauren, body in the water, she was floating on the surface. I think it's important to note that one of the things that we noticed was a pocket of air that was keeping her buoyant, keeping her on the surface. That pocket of air was located, you know, beneath her top, you know, her tank top. It's kind of like when you go to the pool as a kid or, you know, as an adult and you jump in and especially with guys, your swimming trunks kind of fill up with a pocket of air. That's kind of what uh, what we see with Lauren's uh, shirt that was kind of keeping her on the top of the water. So as I said before, a couple minutes ago, the body will sink. And in a water accident, the bodies will not stay afloat for very long. They will begin to sink immediately. The pocket of air was in her shirt. I'm going to put that on the Internet so people can see what you're talking about. Well, you know, from a, an investigator's standpoint, we as investigators need to look for distinctive signs to determine the cause of drowning. You know, we need to recognize some of those indicators and articulate them to the medical examiner, and that's extremely important. And in this particular case, 
we didn't see any collaboration between the uh, sheriff's deputies and the medical examiner. And when you talk about collaboration, you are discussing the medical examiner gets information from the investigation saying these are the conditions we found her, correct or not? That's correct. We know that the medical examiner, probably the only information they had from the investigators was the information relating to the fact that they felt she jumped from a cliff or she was... She was drunk and fell off a cliff. Exactly. And as a result, suffered blunt force trauma to her skull. They ruled as a cause of death. The information that we have that we've been working with based on all the evidence that we have and, and have seen, you know, we come up with much different conclusion. In Lauren's case, she also had a uh, throat injury as evidenced uh, from the autopsy and injury to the nose, which we think perhaps her nose was severely injured or damaged, possibly even broken. Let's take a moment to talk a little bit more about lividity in drowning or, or water cases. Lauren was found face down, arms to the side, and and as a result, being in that position, you will see the lividity or the blood settling to her face, to her chest, to her abdomen, the tops of her legs. And that's exactly what we saw in her particular case. Let's talk a little bit about her body posture being found in the water. Her position is consistent with rigor developing in the water as her arms were outstretched and bent at the elbows. Her hands were turned towards the face. Oftentimes, see, is that the hands will be clenched in a fist. Her, her hands were not completely clenched in a fist, but they were slightly closed. All of this is very consistent with what you will see in a person found in the water and has uh, the onset of rigor mortis. And when you say onset of rigor mortis, you mean the beginning stages. You're you're talking about the beginning stages of rigor mortis versus number of hours. Versus fixed rigor mortis, exactly, number of hours. Rigor will begin to set in between one to three hours, and then it, it will become fixed within 10 to 12 hours and remain fixed 24 to 36. And then after that time, the body, the muscles will begin to relax again and become pliable. Okay. So she was at the beginning stages. I want you to realize that when the body was found, she was floating. As I said, bodies will sink relatively quickly upon being subjected to the water. She was not submerged. She was floating on top of the water, which means that she had not, in my opinion, had not been in the water very long. And I think that's very important. The other thing is consider the fact that she had the frothy foam and that to have that condition, generally you are alive when you are subjected to the water. So in my opinion, I feel that she was alive when she was placed or put in the water and subsequently died, uh, died from the blunt trauma and let's go ahead and bring in the controversial subject of the triangle on Lauren's stomach. So the question that's asked over and over is, was that from a canoe, the marking on her stomach? What the DeKalb County Sheriff said, it was from the rescue boat. And I believe you spent a lot of time looking at the pattern. What's your impression? Well, it's a good question, and it, it continues to be... Um... A mystery to us. We do see a, an imprint that is from an object that she appeared to have been laid upon. In my mind, it does resemble the front portion of what I would say to be a canoe. And the resulting pattern is very consistent to what I've seen in canoes that I've owned and other people that I've talked to 
would also agree with that from their experience. So it does look like it could originate from a canoe. Unfortunately, we don't have a canoe in this particular case to compare it with. But I can tell you we're, we're searching for that canoe and a canoe that we think may represent a pattern that was caused on, on Lauren's body. You know, we did pour over the pictures of the TWRA rescue boats and pictures that that Sheila had taken. And I can't seem to locate any part of that boat based on the, the pictures that we looked at that would have caused this defect. It's not to say that it didn't come from that boat or any of those boats. We don't see it. Now, I will tell you that as an investigator, the sheriff's office and medical examiner or should have asked questions about where did that mark come from. The result of that question should have been the deputies going out and conducting an investigation to search for that because it is it is significant. To me it shows that there was no there was no interest on the part of the ME. There was no collaboration uh, between the ME and the deputies or the sheriff's office to jointly pursue that information. You know, I think that was a major flaw. This could be the needle in the haystack, make or break this particular case. Without having something to compare it to, how difficult is it going to be to identify the mark? Well, it's very difficult. What it does, it just forces us to speculate, theorize, and you have 10 people looking at it, you could have 10 different theories so it just it just complicates more than it resolves. What's interesting about the sheriff wrote a letter to Crime Watch and said that the markings on Lauren's body was from the rescue boat. My question is, how does he know that since he's gone on record saying that he did none of the investigation? That's an excellent question. So if the sheriff makes a statement like that, and it looks like he was very overt in his action to make that explanation, it is extremely important for him to back that up with substantive information that he can point to. You know, it's a cause and effect relationship. You know, he's he's making a claim that those rescue boats cause that. Based on that, I'm not taking that at his word. They should have documented the parts of the boat where he feels that mark originated from. And not having done that does not satisfy, from an investigator's standpoint, that the boat actually caused those markings. Well, my thought was just because he says it doesn't mean it's so. Exactly. If he is listening to the podcast, I sure would like to see him put out in his newspaper exactly what he's comparing it to. I think it's only right and it's only fair to the Smith family. And it's also backs up his ability to his own community, in my opinion. I agree. One thing I do want to mention is the reason this is even controversial, even in my community of investigators, we have different opinions. When they removed Lauren from the water to place her in the boat, they did not have her in a bag preserving all the evidence. Her body is the evidence. So they placed her directly on the boat, which does, I believe, contaminate her body. Sure. The evidence. So that's why this is very controversial or a 
point of discussion is because of the way her body was treated when they initially got her. I believe the protocol is you wrap her and gently put her into a boat or a staging area to go over her body. Am I right? Correct. Put her on a tarp, put her on an open body bag so that everything that was on her body when it was when she was recovered is retained is preserved it's taken to the medical examiner's office it's, it's very important to to make sure that if there any, anything was there that it's not lost and this may be just another lost opportunity the TWRA officials were recovering her body with the instrument I, I don't know exactly what you call that instrument but it's a pole with perhaps a a slight hook on the end. There are markings on her back that, that exist. We don't know where they came from. I don't see anywhere in any investigative report that they describe the use of that instrument, potential cause of of some post-mortem artifacts as a result of using that device. You know, that's very important from an investigative standpoint for us to have, you know, documentation, photographs of those markings and an explanation that they could have come from the use of that instrument to pull her body out of the water. To that point, there are a few scratch marks, but not deep scratch marks on her back that might match up to the end of that instrument, correct? Right. And that's what I was getting at. Exactly. So again, when they're getting Lauren out of the water, they take this hook that potentially scratched her back that looks like scratch marks. If you're looking for a narrative, it would fall into, well, she scratched herself when she was going down the cliff. However, her shirt was not ripped and those scratch marks potentially could match up to the hook that they used to to get her out of the water. Instead of going into her body, they pulled her towards them with this hook. Exactly. Which, again, now it contaminates the evidence and someone will come up with a different conclusion based on those scratch marks. It only complicates the investigation even more. The photograph of her neck that shows a that shows a possible mark caused by being strangled, being choked with uh, with a hand. Let me just. Describe the photo. When Lauren was taken out of the water, one of the things that they did is they did take several photos, and this is showing her just her neck area and a little bit of the black shirt and right her bottom lip. That's all you see. Now, I don't believe I'm going to post that on the internet. There is a mark on her lip that became a discussion last night also. And when I say last night, all weekend, I've had investigators here looking at Lauren's case. There is a mark and it's in the picture. It's a line that's discolored from her body. Another thing before we get into that well, I'll go back through. There are pictures with finger handprints on Lauren. And the problem with those, we don't know if they were from the rescue TWRA. We don't know if they're from the rescue personnel or if they're from Lauren struggling. The marking on her neck, to me, was demonstrative of her being someone placing her hand and, and, and applying pressure to her throat, to her neck. Uh, and then, of course, the autopsy revealed some severe hemorrhaging of her throat, of her larynx, esophageal. To me, that's very critical information. 
So what's interesting about that is in the autopsy report, the hemorrhaging in her throat is not even notated. Yeah, major, major flaw. If they don't notate the hemorrhaging in her throat and they don't say what the V is on her stomach, they don't do a rape kit, did she really get a true autopsy. People want to know, should the family exhume the body? But again, you know, it, it, where do you take it? Yeah, it, it was, it's very obvious that they, they did not do a thorough job on this. They did not provide the information that we really need to answer the questions of what, of what happened to her. So in my view, uh, they had their mind made up that this was an, an accident, that she fell off a cliff. They weren't interested going, going beyond that. And that's that's sad. Well, their narrative was she fell off the cliff, she was drunk, and then they took the evidence that appeared to back it up. That is what they documented. One thing I, I want to make clear, I was just made aware of a case in Tennessee that a rape kit was done and the police did not ask for it. So there was a possibility that the medical examiner could have stepped up and done a rape kit without having Jeremy Taylor ask for it. I think there was a double fail on that respect. I'm just going to point it out that it does seem to be, yes, the law is the police officer asked for it or detective, but it also seems to be in certain cases it's done. So I wonder if they have the same mindset. She was on her period because she had a tampon in. Whether they have the mindset or not, they should have done it. To me, that was major oversight on their part. It could have been the key to answering a lot of questions here. When we were looking at the first responders' pictures, what Jay Marin kept bringing up was there's no, there's no markers. Jay Marin is an investigator out of Miami. He is former law enforcement and helped look over Lauren's files. Will you explain what that means? When you take photographs, you know, photographs are very important because it documents what exists. And if you take a photograph, context is everything. If there's an injury or a marking, anything that you're taking a photograph of, you want to always put a scale, put a ruler, put something that can depict size so that the person that's viewing the photograph has no misunderstanding about how big that particular defect is or that particular piece of evidence is. So I think that's what he was referring to. It's very simple to do. And, you know, context is everything. And if you don't, if you don't employ those simple procedures, it can create a lot of confusion, a lot of misunderstanding and misrepresentation. Like we have now. Exactly. So there are pictures of Lauren's thighs. Well, I noticed the significant bruising on both thighs and some of the injuries, you know, abrasions to her knees, kneecaps and areas around her knees. I think the shape and size of the bruise, bruises, to me, in, indicates someone, you know, coming down like with the force of a knee or, you know, a shin on top of her, on top of her thighs. Some of these bruises on Lauren's body don't seem to be that significant to me. I look at them and think, well, that could be from going up and down the cliff during the week. But are they fresh? Yeah, to me, they look 
fresh. They, they don't appear to be dated old. They look like injuries that she received within a number of hours prior to her death, you know, up to the time of her death. So there are pictures of bicep. It looks like an imprint of a hand on her biceps. What were they, bruising, fresh? What's your take on those? I feel they're definitely a, a handprint that is actually gripping her bicep. It, to me, it appears that it's post-mortem, it's after death, and it would be consistent with someone grabbing her by the arm in an effort to perhaps lift her out of the water, place her in, in the boat, or maneuver once she's in the boat. There's blanching. You could tell the handprint is a result of uh, what we call blanching, causing pressure on the area that the lividity has set in. So it's it's actually creating an, an imprint by the pressure of the hand. Could the lifting into a boat be before or lifting out of a boat? Could it have been rescue boat or canoe? It could be both. Absolutely. But I, I feel it was it was after her death. It could have been after her death prior to being put in the boat. And the it, rescue boat. Exactly. And it could have been before the rescue boats were even there. All right. To be clear about that, the handprint or the the marking of a handprint on her biceps could have been someone placing her in the rescue boat or placing her in and out of a canoe. Or position or placing her in the water or repositioning her in the water after she is dead. So again, it would have been great had there been documentation so there wouldn't be the so there wouldn't be these questions. So what could have happened and should have happened was that anyone that touched that body by TWRA or the sheriff's office, handprint exemplars should have been, could have been created that would account for someone actually touching that, that arm, that part of the body, just so there's no confusion as to how that print got there and who made it. There's a lot of confusion because they didn't do that. Exactly. I don't know how much we discussed this the other day, but I think it's imperative that they do fingernail scrapings, and I don't see any any mention of that being done. Her injuries, especially with the neck, the bruising on the legs, the blunt trauma to the head, even though she was found in the water and people think it was an accident, you know, it, it's imperative that they collect that evidence because it could be signs, reveal signs of, of a struggle. Definitely could have uh, revealed DNA from people that um, she was in an altercation with. So it should have been done. That was a major opportunity that was missed. I don't know. It, it feels like it was kind of like, ah, she she died. Ah, move on. Yeah. And that's the way they treated the families. Ah, she was cliff jumping and um, she had an injury and died from that. And then it was her head was the, her head was broken up like a watermelon. Who says that to a family? And then it's, well, you know, she was drunk and fell off the cliff. Why would you say any of that? until you knew and you did your own investigation. Another area I'd like to address on the autopsy, the results of the autopsy, which I find are, there's there's a major omission in the report, and that is the blunt force trauma injury to the skull. The medical examiner reports that the cause of death is, is a, cause of death is blunt force trauma to the skull. But nowhere on the autopsy diagram, the body diagram, where the, the medical examiner and his staff uh, identify every, you know, from head to toe, they identify every single defect that they note. There's not one diagram or one annotation for 
the area that the blunt force trauma was received on Lauren's, on, on her head. To me, I feel that's a major omission. If you go to the autopsy photographs, there's only one, a couple pictures of the scalp removed and showing the brain and, and the hemorrhaging, the subdural hematomas on the brain. And, and that's important. That's good. But there's no photograph of the actual injury before they removed the scalp. It doesn't give us an idea regarding the extent of her injury. And I think that is incredibly important. And therefore, I think it's a grave mistake because it doesn't put this, her condition in the proper context. And I think that's very important. What should the family have expected from an autopsy if it was done thoroughly? The family should have not necessarily received the autopsy report, but the family should have assurance knowing that their darling daughter was treated with the greatest amount of, of respect and that they would have done the utmost in their professional ability to competently, proficiently, sufficiently documented every single injury on her body. Uh, it was not a, it, it was not, in my opinion, a thorough autopsy. It was not a thorough report. You know, when you're talking about your daughter, your loved one, a family member, you know, we expect a lot from, from these people that, that are in these positions and they didn't deliver on this one. With a thorough autopsy, there would have been less questions. There's always questions, but if they had done a thorough autopsy with pictures, we wouldn't be wondering what the blunt force trauma to the head looked like, would we? We would not. In fact, you want to marry up an autopsy and a investigation performed by a law enforcement agency so that there's no question about anything. Every stone is turned over, every question is answered, and there's no room for misunderstanding or confusion. We're not wondering about anything. We have the detailed information to go on, and that doesn't exist in this case. I think in some cases, the media, Hollywood, they distort the true image of an autopsy in some cases, and in others, uh, I, I think they're they're fairly close in how they depict them. But basically, it's it's process where you have a medical examiner, his staff, his assistants, an investigator. If it's if it's subject to a suspicious death or circumstances, an investigator will be present. You know, they they look at everything. They take their time. They examine the body before they clean it. They photograph it. They remove evidence. And every one of their actions is recorded. It's documented manually, you know, notes taken by hand. There's audio created. Everything is recorded. In many cases, it's videotaped and photographed. And all this information helps, you know, helps preserve the, the process. You know, the body, once they have conducted a, a thorough evalu external evaluation, uh, collected all the evidence, taken all the photographs, you know, then they'll clean it off by spraying it, you know, spraying it down with water. And, and you know, they'll capture everything that is, is cleaned off because some evidence may have been missed, but it will be, it will be captured and retained for later use and examination. Then they'll get right into, you know, making the incision, opening the body, doing a visual examination of what the condition of the body is, and they'll go from organ to organ. Then they'll start 
actually removing organs, taking photographs, weighing them. And, you know, weight is very important. Then they will take specimens for microscopic slides. They will retain all that, keep all that those organs that they remove. Then they go to goal, to the brain. They remove the scalp, the skull cap. They examine the brain. And again, they remove the brain and take you know, samples for microscopic slides to be analyzed. They take blood, they preserve the blood, they send it off for toxicology. So it's a very, very thorough, elaborate process, methodical. They follow procedures. And the key is that uh, if there are any questions that an investigator can assist with, the investigator is right there uh, so that they can collaborate on certain aspects of injuries or you know defects that that the medical examiner may need some explanation on that could be you know provided by the investigator. It's not a quick process, and again, it depends on on uh, the circumstances of death and the injuries sustained. It could take a number of hours, but it's it's a very detailed and very important process. So in the medical examiner's report, there was fluid in Lauren's bladder that added up to one and a half tablespoons. Is that very much in someone's bladder? No, that's not very much at all. Would that actually, does that mean she was, she had gone to the bathroom or Obviously, it's not she needed to go to the bathroom. Do you think it, she went to the restroom? It's hard to say. It's That's 1.5 tablespoons is a low quantity, but it's hard to say if she did go. It's hard to say how much urine would be accumulated in her bladder. Um, anyway, but that to me, that, that is an in, insignificant amount. So if she had 1.5 tablespoons of fluid in her bladder... She would not have to get up and walk to go to the pee area because that probably wasn't pressing. I would say if she had 1.5 tablespoons of urine in her bladder that that she would not need to go to the bathroom or have an urge to go to the bathroom. One thing that I want to make really clear that you and I have talked about over and over is is the fact that Lauren's clothing not torn up for someone who supposedly fell down a cliff. Do you want to kind of talk to the listeners about that? You know, with with the realization that she died from allegedly blunt force trauma to the head, the medical examiner ruled her the cause of death as blunt force injury to the skull. And then they're going with the story that she apparently fell from from a cliff, plunging to her death. The thing that really strikes me is the condition of her clothing. When they pulled Lauren's body out of the water, in my opinion, there were no signs of any tears or defects in her garments, her her shorts, tank top, her bra, anything. So I, I find it very ironic that there's no torn, ripped clothing on her at all. With injuries on her body, you would expect the clothes to reflect that, correct? Oh, absolutely. You know, if, if she allegedly tumbled down a hill or, you know, and, and suffered puncture wounds like she did, I would expect to see her clothing to, to also take a, a lot of, be the brunt of a lot of tears and in and, and very bad shape. But her clothing looked like it was essentially brand new with no blemishes. Lauren's family gives their full permission for any and all details to be shared in hope that the truth will come out. If you know anything at all, call 1-888-599-0008 
or email tips at sheilawysaki.com.